Hey there, this is Hassafras. So this episode is actually dating from 2019, uh, previous to all of the madness, which is 2020. It's about witchcraft today. I probably would have reworded some of this, um, or rather, I, I definitely would reword some of this. But ultimately, um, I did record it, and I'd want you guys to check it out. Thank you. Good afternoon. I am Sassafras, and I am here to talk to you about what I consider to be the heart of witchcraft. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I'm, a lot of this episode is going to be dedicated to talking about the book Witchcraft Today. And that is mostly because a lot of this podcast is going to be drawing from my direct experience. I'm not trying to proselytize to you. I'm not trying to sell you on what I'm saying. But I am trying to tell you that... In my own experience, this is simply what I found to be true, and a lot of it doesn't mesh well with a lot of the narrative that we hear out and about when people discuss and talk about witchcraft. But let me – give me some time, and I'll try and explain why that is the case, or at least how I interpret all of this stuff. So we're going to begin with the concept of the word witch. When we take a look at the word witch, what – Whenever someone begins on this topic, they almost always start with the etymology of it. Uh, what, where does the word witch come from? And as if this gives us some grand revelation. Perhaps it does. Now, what I found on, I think it's etymologyonline.com, um, is, is that the word witch comes from the old English word wicke, W-I-C-C-E, meaning female magician sorceress, woman with dealings with the devil or evil spirits. That it is a feminization, a feminine version of the old English word wicca, meaning sorcerer, wizard, man who practices witchcraft or magic. Uh, also the verb wiccian, W-I-C-C-I-A-N, to perform witchcraft, compare with the Low German Wiccan, W-I-K-K-E-N, to use witchcraft, or Wicker, uh, W-I-C-K-E-R, soothsayer. Reginald Scott, in 1584, The Discovery of Witchcraft, a very important book for traditional practitioners of witchcraft and for Wiccans alike, uh, includes the text... At this day, it is indifferent to say in the English tongue, she is a witch or she is a wise woman. Now, the meaning of the word Wicca, as it's understood in the common parlance, is it's, it's a practitioner of this religion. It kind of takes on a religious overtone, but actually it, it kind of means someone who is a member of the craft of the wise. So we see that wise element uh, in play there as well, which is interesting. Whether it's constructed that way or not is a whole other question. I mean, a lot of what goes into an understanding of witchcraft, you, you kind of end up asking yourself how much of this was made to be this way and how much of it was not. After all, you don't want to feel like you're being dissuaded or misled or uh, hoodwinked. I mean, nobody wants to be fooled. So it really comes down to, well... How much of it resonates with you? How much of it do you feel in your heart? How much of this, when you hear it, does it touch you? Um, my best example, and the one that I always go to, actually comes from, as I said, it's um, I'm going to be talking a lot about Gerald Gardner's book, Witchcraft Today. I read this before I was an initiated gardenarian. Uh, I read this, uh, oh my goodness, 
when was this book printed? Uh, the first uh, my particular copy. When was it printed? Does it have that? Uh, this one says it was printed in 2014. Now I had read. That's when I purchased the book. Previous to that, I had gotten it via a, a PDF because I'm a pirate like that, I guess. Um, let's say I wanted to try before I bought. I I don't know. Or maybe I lost my old copy. That's what it is. In any case, in I think it's chapter. Is chapter one, Living Witchcraft. There is the passage which has always touched me time and time again, and I always go back to it. Witchcraft was and is not a cult for everybody. Unless you have an attraction towards the occult, a sense of wonder, a feeling that you can slip for a few minutes out of this world into the other world of fairy, it is of no use to you. By it, you can obtain peace, a soothing of jangled nerves, and many other benefits just from the companionship. But to obtain the more fundamental effects, you must attempt to develop any occult power you may have. When I read this for the first time, I was a little bit, I was a little bit floored, as I've said. I, it resonated a lot with me. I looked at it and said, yeah, this is definitely something that appeals. I find myself, as do a lot of people tied down and demystified, removed from some fundamental element of my being that I just needed, that I was I was looking for and had been looking for. <clears throat> now, the you know, just the word witchcraft itself doesn't necessarily sell the concept, it doesn't wrap it all up. So what on earth does he actually mean when he says that in his book, according to his definitions? And, and, okay, so why is this episode even about witchcraft today? It's because a lot of people will look at Gardner's work, they'll look at Valiente's work, they'll look at a number of different books on this topic, but they'll look at it from the lens of another writer in a way later period of time without actually reading the words, or maybe they find the books too ponderous, maybe they can't get through them, you know, whatever element of it, and we can talk about reading with a purpose later, but they're judging it based on somebody else's thoughts. They're not actually having their hands on what some would consider to be the primary documents, as it were, of this religion in its modern context. If you want to say Gardner made it all up, if you want to say that it was just an invention of him and a bunch of other naked people at the beginning of the century, that's fine and well. There is no proof that they didn't tap into some truth in their workings, in what they did. And there's no proof that they didn't record some of that. So if you aren't reading the text, if you aren't looking at it physically, then what the hell are you saying? You're merely parroting something that someone else said, some other opinion someone else is leading you towards. So I would always say, please, go grapple with the thing and see what you think, see what your opinion is. There are a lot of comments that, you know, Gardner is a terrible writer. I'm not going to say that that's completely incorrect. There are some passages in here where I'm just kind of like, what on earth is this all about? Why on earth? So... There's a whole chapter on, like, the little people and how the little people became witches. How interesting. I don't even know how to digest that, but it's not enough for me to knock out the other aspects of what's going on in here. 
Uh, Gardner had claimed that he was publishing this as an anthropologist. However, he admits from the onset that, well, yeah, he was, he did become an initiate in this. And so he's not entirely uninvolved. So the passage that talks about that. I must first explain why I claim to speak of things not generally known. I have been interested in magic and kindred subjects all my life, and have made a collection of magical instruments and charms. These studies lead me to spiritualists in other societies, and I met some people who claimed to have known me in a past life. Here, I must say that, though I believe in reincarnation, as most people who... As most people do, who have lived in the East, I do not remember any past lives, albeit I have had curious experiences. I only wish I did. Anywho, I soon found myself in the circle, and took the usual oaths of secrecy which bound me not to reveal any secrets of the cult. But, as it is a dying cult, I thought it was a pity that all the knowledge should be lost, so in the end I was permitted to write, as fiction, something of what a witch believes in the novel High Magic's Aid. This present volume has the same purpose, but deals with the subject in a factual way. He references here, so he talks about High Magic's Aid. <clears throat> High Magic's Aid is a novel that he wrote. He wrote that one. He also wrote one earlier called A Goddess Arrives, in which <clears throat> certain parts and pieces of what he writes about, he is... Cl- well, so <clears throat> in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, and before then, if you want to go back, depending on where, folks would write about witchcraft, about the occult, about magic, about sorcery, about all of these things. They would write about them, but they would do it from an oblique way, so that an esoteric reading of the subject material would perhaps grant you some element of magic, some piece of it. If you had the wit to see it, if you were careful in your reading, you can find and perhaps reenact, perhaps use for yourself, usable bits of magic in uh, Dion Fortune wrote a number of books, um, Sea Priestess, Goat-Footed God, Goat-Foot God, um, as I said, Goddess Arrives, um, High Magic's Aid, uh, Crowley wrote um, a novel, uh, what was that one called? Was that Moonchild? Something like that. I don't know. I mean, the veracity of these... Look, whenever you read something, you must apply... You will never not be able to read it through your own lens. And so if you look at something, you say, this is complete nonsense, that's not invalid. That's your understanding of it at that particular point in time. And if you remember how you felt about it then, if you ever revisit it in the future, you can think about it. You don't have to have the same conclusion. You can have the exact same conclusion. It's really... It's all in your hands. You are the one who puts in the work here. No one can do it for you. I or anyone can't spell out a 12-point plan on how you can re-enchant your life. Even if I were to do so and to claim that it was a 12-point plan on how you can re-enchant your life, would it all work for you? And if you did it, would you get the results that I was completely describing? This is this is really not a thing that I personally... So while... Witchcraft Today is a published book. Uh, it's it's not exactly something anyone would get a tremendous fortune from. Most of the cost probably lies in the fact that you know you you have to publish this thing and get it you know put into a book and printed and sent off and so on. I think it's right now it's like twelve or thirteen dollars off of Amazon. 
no one is getting fabulously rich off of this particular book. However, we do see in our society folks regularly publishing books on witchcraft, on magic, on doing magic and getting results. Most of them, I don't believe, are doing so to bilk you. They are not trying to take your money. They are answering a legitimate, like, concern and thirst and desire. They're meeting the needs of folks who want to read about these particular topics. So I don't think the people who publish or people who put out things in that manner are doing so from a false basis. I do have concerns when it gets to talking about the value of one's time, how much one's time is worth, as if there are a lot of complicated thoughts about all this. I can't quite sort it out and make complete sense of it. I'm, so I'm going to leave that one for another day. Commercialization of the craft. There's an episode for the future. Let's write that down. Anyway. So, Gardner's book here. In, <coughs> in the preamble, in the early bit, the earliest bit, we have a forward. Oh, no, that's not the forward. What is this? No, it is a forward. I mean, the the original preamble, the original thing that began the book was some writing by Margaret Murray. Margaret Murray was a Egyptologist in the introduction. Uh, she was a professor, an assistant professor in Egyptology at University College in London. During World War II, she found herself unable to travel. She couldn't go to Egypt because, as you knew, the world was at war and Egypt was a hotly contested item. And so she couldn't ply her regular trade. So what did she do instead? Why is she relevant here? Why would she write an introduction to this? Well, <clears throat> what she wrote instead was she looked at a number of Inquisition records uh, throughout the late renaissance, like 1400 to 1700s, when we have records of this stuff. And people in those days actually did keep fairly good trial records. What she looked at were witch trials during this particular span of time. And what she looked for in particular were common elements which were held between these different trials. And she asked, well no, she stated, she said, look, you can find these common elements, <clears throat> things like we meet on Sabbaths, yeah, but we, witches meet, met on the Sabbaths, they worshipped a, a male horned god who was the devil, uh, they perhaps signed in his book, they perhaps had sex with him so that they could conceive children to sacrifice, I mean, all of these various different common and disparate elements which we find in these records, and or, you know, of, you know, the idea of child sacrifice, the idea of having, a, you know, dark masses and things like that. All of these things are repugnant to the Christian sense, but remember that these are these trials. They don't bring to trial someone who they, they do not fundamentally deem contemptible. I'm not saying that they colored all of these things. People may have said all kinds of stuff, and some of the information was extracted through torture. So that's interesting. And perhaps I go too far with all of that, but you, you get the idea. She looked at all of these records, and she said, from this you can come to the conclusion that there was a witch cult in Western Europe, and that's her book. 
and it is a clumsy book. It's not awesome. The various passages that she quotes often are in French provided without translation, which means you have to go out of your way to get it translated, which if you are full of your, you know, you're dutiful, you're going to do. But by the same token, you wonder if anything is lost. You wonder how she would have rendered it in English. Perhaps she was understanding a particular passage differently than Google Translate would. It's not impossible. People nowadays, it feels, perhaps it's just my own feeling, it feels like we are less literate, less language literate than we used to be. <coughs> Unless, of course, you have the fortune of being um, the son of immigrants, uh, the, the, the daughter of immigrants. If, if you have a parent who was an immigrant, often you are bilingual in a way that I will never be. And I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of that, but I'm not. It's, it's not like there aren't other things in my life that wouldn't be useful for you. So, complete aside, good grief. All right. So, a little further on. I mean, he proposes in this book, nearly all primitive people had initiation ceremonies, and some of these were initiation into priesthoods, into magical powers, secret societies, and mysteries. These were usually regarded as necessary for the welfare of the tribe as well as for the individual. They usually included purification and some tests of courage and fortitude, often severe and painful, terrorization, instruction in tribal lore, in sexual knowledge, in the making of charms, in religious and magical matters generally, and often a ritual of death and resurrection. These, I mean, from a witchy perspective, these are all well within the realm of witchcraft. I make the further argument that witchcraft is well within the realm of human, that this is something that we all do. These are things that we all look to. Any farmer who could potentially, any farmer has in his heart, her heart, the urge to try and obtain a, benef a beneficial harvest, a bountiful harvest. They're gonna go everywhere they can to get that. And often nowadays, they go to, you know, there's there's nothing keeping them from their local church. There's nothing keeping them from praying for this, from asking their priests to pray for this. The idea that you would ask as many different things to intercede on your behalf is a very human thing. And I say that's because we live in a world where that's not useless. I'm not saying that all prayer is the same, and I'm not saying that all prayer offered, you know, if you have a desire for a thing, it's the same as a prayer. But what manifestation occurs with a lack of desire? There is always going to be some element of you wanting a result you cannot obtain through fundamental means. And that doesn't mean that you don't work hard for it and do everything you can. It means that in addition to doing all that you can, you do all that you can't. You look to places where previously there would have been no offer at all, and you say, look, can you help me? To, to anything, a lot of people consider magic to be, from a ceremonial perspective, a lot of magic is looking at the world and asking for or commanding or binding or, and, you know, a number of different, but it's a relationship with spirits. And these spirits have offices, these spirits have positions that they hold and things that they can do and things that they can't do. And so you ask, you find out which ones can do and you ask those to do a thing. And sometimes you ask nicely and sometimes perhaps you don't. It all kind of depends on your experience. And this goes back. I mean, this is, if, if you want to look at magic, if you want to look at witchcraft as being defined by that, then this is in 
continuity. This has always been a thing. As long as we have, re- I mean, how much of this stuff would not have been recorded typically? Usually, when you see something enter into the written record where we can read it later, that's where it goes to die. Once it becomes written down, it's being written down to preserve it. And you don't preserve something before it has borne fruit. You only preserve something of value, which means it has had time to prove its value. Which means when you read a magical grimoire from the 1600s, the practices contained within are indubitably from before then. They're not from that generation. It's recorded at that time for perpetuity. Just think about it if you were writing something down for yourself. Now, if you're writing it, if you're writing down a lengthy tract of a particular book, let's say you're copying, you're just copying a section from a book you love. You've read that particular section of that book. You've weighed that particular section of that book, and you think that this is worth keeping. You want to keep it because you like it, because you have experience with it, because you've experienced it, and thus it holds value. When was that book published? When did that book come to you? It's not necessarily about when it was created. It's more about your experience with it. I would submit that the grimoires are no different. I would submit that the Dead Sea Scrolls are no different, that... Any historical document, <clears throat> it, it more or less, it's recorded as such because it occurred before then, before that time. And unlike you know court testimony, where literally you do want to record verbatim exactly what is said, if you're recording the truth, you don't necessarily have a pro. You know, you're always going to have a proto document. There's always going to be some version of it before then that came to you. So there are a few passages in Witchcraft Today which are quotations from earlier works, or they're quotations from something. A lot of these things we don't have. Some of them we do. For example, we know that the version of the charge, there's a version of the charge of the goddess, if you haven't heard of it. It's definitely something to look into. Um, Any witch who is not familiar with the concept of the charge of the goddess, you've got time. Uh, and it's not a bad idea to look into it. And, and look, you can tell me, you know, look, Sassafras, I, I looked into it. I don't feel anything from that. That's nonsense. But if you know what it is, a lot of this podcast, a lot of the purpose of this podcast is to try and shed some light on things that you might hear in a conversation with someone else so that you can speak on it with some amount of idea what's being said. Because nobody likes to talk out of their ass. Uh, uh, however... You often, often hear folks doing that, and yeah, nobody wants, nobody wants that. So, check out the Charge of the Goddess. Let me see if I can find it real quick. In the end, the version of the Charge of the Goddess, which is found here in Witchcraft Today, we are pretty sure, one can be pretty sure, that the version that appears here was written by Dorian Valiente, not from scratch. There are earlier versions of it. She reworked it into something that worked for her, for the people she was practicing with at the time. Uh, Here it is. It's in the uh, chapter, The Witch Beliefs. And it is, they don't include, perhaps they don't include the whole thing, uh, but there's a portion of it. And Gardner himself says, this is, you know, the beginning of it. It kind of ascribes a, it, it names a number of goddess names and talks about how, uh, it, it kind of, you can draw the great, so in Wicca, 
there's often the concept of the Greek goddess and the god she of many names. And so here at the beginning of this particular text, we have a lot of different goddess names. Is <coughs> is it? I'm sorry, folks. I have a cold. It's one of those things, and this actually works for me. I know it doesn't work for some other people. Some people are very, very hard polytheists. They are very. They believe that deity and the divine are very discrete entities that do not hold things in common. And so, when you encounter, um, you know, a sun god of this culture versus a sun god of that culture, even if they are adjoining cultures, they would say, "No, these are discrete entities. They are not tied together." I'm really soft. I'm not saying everything blends into the same pot. I just tend to be big tent. I like to look at the whole situation and say, all of you are welcome at my table. This is fun. Let's talk about what gives us, you know, what uh, does this spark joy for you? No, no. Let's talk about what makes us happy with all this. Where does it connect to us? And to me, the idea that the divine feminine, the female, it of itself being a divine source and a divine entity. Um, you know, I'm married, I have three daughters. I'm going to have a lot of difficulty in life if I don't see some aspect of the divine in the female form. How on earth could I treat my daughters in a way that seemed like I didn't see a connection between them and the infinite? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's too personal. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so... There are a number of sections in here which are which are quoted, and some of them we can tie back to, like the charge of the goddess. Some other ones are a little trickier. Uh, there's a passage talking about there. I mean, there's some of the mythology which is given here, but by the same token, there's also a passage that talks about how, and this is his writing, witches have no books on theology, so it is difficult for me to discover all they actually believe. With all the thousands of books there are on Christianity, I find it difficult to define Christian beliefs, transubstantiation, transubstantiation, for example. On the other hand, it's easy to give a central idea or myth, which I believe is defined as being a story which affects people's actions. Strictly speaking, in this sense, the myth of Christianity lies in the crucifixion and resurrection, and few Christians would differ about this. The myth of witchcraft seems to be the story of the goddess here quoted. I'm forbidden to give her name, so I will call her G. And then he gives a, a myth. And talks about how this may or may not inform the actions of the witches in their rites, in their mysteries, etc. Now, <clears throat> if if you are, I mean, there have been a number of different religious experiences in the world, in human history. We always seem to have particular events which evoke this feeling of the infinite for us. And I would say that this is not, I don't, I don't think atheists or agnostics are immune to this concept. I don't think that the Big Bang doesn't hold a unique mystery all to itself. It may not be held in the same reverence, but I do kind of think that if you are someone who doesn't believe in the divine, if anything, physics and how things work and indeed the stars and our place in the universe only becomes more magnificent because there isn't some parental figure telling us it's all okay because I put you here for a reason. Instead, it's no, every action you do matters all the more because <laughs> it's just you guys. You're on your own. So why aren't you being kind? Why can't you be kind? Why shouldn't you be kind is the best question to ask. But I'm not, I'm not 
I'm sorry, folks. I'm not trying to proselytize for any number of things. In all of this podcast, I am only ever talking about my own thoughts. I really do want to know what your thoughts are. I'm not immune to that. I'm curious. If somebody tells me, look, dude, you're way the hell off and you need to stop what you're doing. You need to knock it off. I'm not I'm not against hearing that. I'm not like tell me like I have no problem with that. I can be reached out in a number of places. I right now I'm publishing this on Anchor FM dot FM um, because it was recommended by the wonderful and talented Ashley. Um, one second. Whose own podcast, Seeking Witchcraft, is spectacular and I love it. And I've, I've been on it once uh, or twice. And I, I just think she's brilliant. You're never going to hear me say anything bad about Ashley at all. I know she's mentioned me, uh, and I feel a little bit humbled by that because I don't feel like I've done anything to, to deserve a mention at all. In fact, it's a question as to whether or not I was even going to be able to do this. Um, I'm going to give it my best shot. I can be found at on Twitter at, at HeartWitchcraft. Um, once more, this is Sassafras. I mean... The, the, the end goal, what I'm really getting at here with Gerald's book, Witchcraft Today, is my own experience when I read this really, really early on. Uh, I, I literally printed it, uh, you know, four, four pages to a sheet of paper and read it all throughout uh, the early, I guess at this point it's almost 10 years ago. I haven't been at this for a billion years. I've always been interested in witchcraft and in Wicca and in magic. I've always been interested in those things. I would say I didn't get super serious and definitely didn't step into the um, realm of witchcraft that I'm in now until that time. Previous to that, I had been really interested in grimoires um, and Joseph Peterson's website and the various translations you find there. Um, But yeah, uh, this book means a lot to me. I feel that a lot of people dismiss it uh, without having read it. I have no problem with you skipping over any part of it that you don't think is useful at all. By all means, like skip it. It's if, if it's not calling out to you, just skip it. But there's so much of the basic stuff, of the root stuff, the rudimentary stuff present in this book. Uh, I don't think you can be led wrong there. I really don't. If you want to go with a super historical viewpoint on witchcraft and on, you know, how it is and how it was, I kind of wonder if witchcraft is for you. I don't know if a person can be a super strict historian, but also believe in supernatural forces by which you can affect reality using your will, using offerings to the gods, using offerings to spirits, binding spirits and making them do your will. I mean, anything under the moon uh, is 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 not off the table but seemingly it must be absolutely historically proved i mean again it comes down to you know did algebra do can we trace algebra being you know can we trace it from teacher to student to antiquity can we trace algebra in that fashion we really can't we're, we're not, we know 
if we're doing algebra, and I know that my algebra and your algebra may not be exactly the same, maybe I have extra steps, maybe you have extra steps, maybe we're both clumsy at it, maybe you're spectacular and I'm a klutz. But in the end, when we see algebra, we know what it is. We can identify it and we feel it in, in, in its way. We're using it to do what algebra can do. Witchcraft is no different. Witchcraft is exactly the same. And we can find beautiful examples of it. We can find really ugly, really can, you know, not awesome examples of it. But it is still part of the thing. It doesn't have to be perfect for it to get you results. And results are really what all of this is all about. So, to try and wrap this up, my name is Sassafras. I'm a Gardnerian high priest. But really, this, this isn't about the Gardnerian experience, even though I spent, you know, literally this half hour talking about a book by Gerald Gardner. I just, the most important thing is that you think critically. And in thinking critically, that means sometimes wrestling with primary sources. I would encourage you to, to take a look at Witchcraft today, see what you think about it. And if you've read it before, uh, tell me about it. Give me, give me some comments. Give me some feedback. I would love to hear it. I really do enjoy I've, I've Even the, the tiny little dinky episode I did prior to this one, I've gotten feedback on it. It's been awesome. I would love to have dialogue with each and every one of you, as well as time permits. And I understand you have busy schedules as well. So in any case... I'm just going to be done here. Thank you all so much for your time, and blessed be.